Give us one hour and we'll help you change the way you think about happiness. Harvesting happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen is fresh, optimistic, and purpose-driven talk radio that promotes happiness from the inside out. Each week, Lisa spotlights trendsetters and change agents who offer sound emotional fitness tips for improving mental muscle tone and greater well-being. Guest experts include a diverse and proactive collection of the greatest thinkers and doers who are devoting their lives to creating a better world in which to live. Your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen, is a widely recognized applied positive psychology coach, author, documentary filmmaker, and lecturer specializing in the fields of sustainable happiness, mindfulness, and positive lifestyle management. Let's get to it. Here's Lisa. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are. Welcome to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio, broadcasting consciously prepared brain food from the beaches of Malibu, California. Each week, we explore the very serious business of happiness, sustainable well-being, and human flourishing. We are not talking about that annoying yellow smiley face. No, no, no. We are talking about something much deeper and critical to the success of humanity. Authentic happiness is not selfish, egotistical, or narcissistic. In fact, it is essential in order for humankind to thrive. Sustainable happiness is important because it not only elevates our own well-being locally, but also contributes to collective global flourishing. The achievement of a happy life is not only positively good for us, it is constructively good for those around us. In short, happiness matters. Happiness comes from the heart. And this show is most definitely all about the heart. And with the heart comes soul and communication. And many of us uh, believe ourselves to be excellent communicators when, in fact, there may be a better way to communicate and build successful relationships, not only at home, but at the office. And that's what we're talking about today. We're talking about Get Better, 15 Proven Practices to Build Effective Relationships at Work with my first guest, Todd Davis has over 30 years of experience in human resources, talent development, executive recruiting, sales, and marketing. He has been with Franklin Covey for over 20 years and currently serves as Chief People Officer and Executive Vice President. Todd Davis is responsible for Franklin Covey's global talent development in over 40 offices in 160 countries. Wow. Todd Davis, welcome to the show. Well, thank you. I, it's a joy to be here, and uh, I'm happy. <laughs> oh, I, I, I am happy you're here, too, because uh, we all need what you have to offer in this book, Get Better, 15 Proven Practices to Build Effective Relationships at Work. Let's talk about the, the basic tenets of effective relationships, not only at work, but with others in general. You bet. Well, uh, the, the premise for the book is the fact that regardless of what we do for a living, what we do in life, we're all measured in, in various ways. But the ultimate measure for every one of us is by the results that we get. And so the question that, that sparked writing the book was, how do you get your results? You know, unless you are in an organization where you are the only employee, the rest of us get our results with and through other people. And so Therefore, re- relationships are, are foundational to all of the important goals and objectives that we're all trying to achieve. And in the book, you write about wearing glasses that work. Talk a little bit about that, about you know, seeing the world with, through proper lenses. You bet. So in my, in my years of experience, and, and of course, many of these, these practices are a result of lessons that I've learned by my own mistakes, so it's not like I'm the grand poobah that knows everything, but I've, I've seen specific behaviors or practices time and time again that really accelerate people in their relationships and their, and their careers and their life or, or they trip up on. And one of those, the very first practice is just what you mentioned. It's wearing glasses that work. It's the paradigm through which we see things. And, and the challenge that we all have, or most of us have, is that we have over time convinced ourselves that what, what we see, the way we see something, is, is the only true, actual way to see things. And that can be a real hindrance in, in collaboration and certainly in, in relationships. So the premise behind wearing glasses that work is seeing things as they really are, not as we have convinced ourselves they are. Got it. What about um, looking to the weather? You know, being uh, your own, I would say your own personal uh, weather forecaster here, but you talk about carry your own weather. Right. 
practice too is is just that carry your own weather and it's really the principle of deciding am i going to let someone else determine my emotional weather am i you know the, the phrase that we all are so famous for saying she makes me so mad or he makes me so angry well really did did they make you angry or did you choose to be angry so the the premise of carry your own weather is just that we all have a choice there are many things we can't control or even influence but we absolutely have a choice with our response in any particular situation. And it's a, it's a very freeing, liberating uh, concept. I agree. I actually think that this is one of the top keys to happiness. Because when we really take ownership of our behavior, we can't really control very much in the world, right? Like, we, we'd like to think that we can, but we can most certainly control our attitudes, Absolutely. I'll, I was talking with someone the other day and they in, 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 a, in an emotional moment and they said, I just I don't have any choice. And I said, well, now, wait a minute. What do you mean you have any choice? Well, I have to work. Why do you have to work? Well, I got to support my family. OK, but you're choosing to do that. It's a good reason. And, they, and it was just you could see in their face. Gosh, you're right. It, it is a choice. And just knowing that I have choices and options has a tremendous impact on our on our whole psyche and, and certainly our happiness. I think that when we look at the way we operate in our professional lives and when we go to work at an office and we're part of an organization or a team, that there can be the feeling or the sense that we really don't have any power, we're not the leader, that that power and leadership is somehow over there with the boss. And one of the things I've often reflected upon over the years, and certainly as I've gotten older, and watched my children grow is that everyone is a leader. Whether you are the CEO of the company or the maintenance person, you are the leader of that little uh, domain that surrounds you. I really appreciate you bringing that up. It's one of the most... uh, It's one of the most used phrases from our company, and that is that leadership is a choice, not a position. Meaning, we can all choose to be a leader, whether we have the official title or not. In fact, the premise of, of the Get Better book that I've written is that the most influential, the most effective, and, and frankly, the happiest people in life are those that recognize that all meaningful change comes from the inside out. I am the most influential when I'm actually modeling and starting with me and modeling the very change that I'm, that I'm seeking in others. You know, I, I think what you say is really important because oftentimes we believe ourselves to be powerless in our professional lives if we are an employee. And I, the idea that regardless of what our position is within an organization, that we do have a, a very high level control of our, A, our inner experience of what's going on, and B, what we're putting out in the world. And it, it is, um, I, I heard you paraphrasing, I think, one of Gandhi's most mm-hmm. famous <laughs> quotes, right? You know, be the change you wish to, to see in Absolutely. the world. And um, I have seen this sometimes in, in employees who might not be the most high-level employee in an, in an organization, but they approach their work with such love, with such um, professionalism, empathy towards others, kindness, and they may be even really the maintenance guy, and it shouldn't make a difference. Totally agree, and, I, and I've seen it as well, and it's, it's, it's really um, a really powerful concept is just, again, as, as we borrowed from Gandhi, be the change. It's funny. I was in the hospital visiting a friend last weekend who is has been there for a while, and um, there was a man that came in to clean his room, and he knocked on the door, and he asked if he could come in and just tidy up for him. That was the word that he used, words he used, tidy up for him. So it was not about coming in to do his job to clean. It was about doing being of service to this patient who was, you know, not at the best point in his life. And I really thought about that. I'm like, that is impactful. Now, I, I, I totally connect with what you're saying. I had my windshield replaced last Saturday. And this gentleman that helped me at this local glass company, uh, I thought when I left there, man, that guy loves his job. He was, and I, and I loved being there. I thought, who, who would have thought that I would have enjoyed an hour and a half at the, at the windshield replacement <laughs> shop, but he was so invested in what he was doing. And it's a really popular shop and I can see why now. It's the first time I had been there. Somebody referred me to it and uh, he just, yeah, doesn't look at it as a job, but looks at it as, as his opportunity to provide an experience and, and frankly provide happiness for, for the clients that he's serving. Indeed. And when you, the, the word you used, investment, I think that really is a key element 
in the experience, that when we become invested in providing the best possible experience and outcome, not just for ourselves, but those that we come in contact with each day, maybe that's it. Maybe that is the the secret sauce here. Yeah, certainly part of it, it sounds like. <laughs> yeah. So, and, and which brings me to another point that you speak about in the book, Get Better, 15 Proven Practices to Build Effective Relationships at Work, and that is the think we, not me mentality. Yes, think we, not me. This is practice number seven. This is the principle behind this practice is having an abundance mentality versus what we call a scarcity mentality. I, I, uh, well, you and I probably both run into people all the time that have kind of a, a panic around, oh, is there going to be enough to go around? You know, it certainly happens at a buffet line. But but more <laughs> often in the workplace, somebody will get recognition or award, and there are people who are so happy for that person, and there are others who who feel kind of slighted and, and can only be happy when they're recognized as well. And there's a mindset of, well, there's only so much recognition in this particular case to go around, which is just such a false assumption versus those people who have an abundant mindset who, who are always looking for ways to celebrate the whole and not just themselves. Uh, just doors continually open up for those people. I've seen that in my 30, 40 years of my career. And talk a little bit about behaving your way to credibility. This is a good one. Boy, this is practice number three. Behave your way to credibility. I, I learned these were some tough lessons I learned as a young manager in my life, where I had assumed that just because I knew I could do something or I knew I had the competency or the skill, that everybody should automatically know that. I also had the false assumption that because I had a title or a position, that I should automatically be credible in your eyes. Credibility is 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 really the the combination of many things, but ultimately it boils down to my character. And my competence. And you got to have both. One doesn't make up for the other. If I, I might be your best friend in the world, Lisa, and I remember your birthday every, every year, and I'm honest as the day is long. But all of a sudden, if I offer to pack your parachute for your first skydiving lesson, you might have some room for pause there. <laughs> you might want to know just how much parachute packing experience I have. None, by the way. On the other hand, it would be concerning for you to learn that the person who did pack your parachute had, let's say, recently been acquitted of a manslaughter charge because of a technicality. So they might have all the parachute packing experience in the world, but if something's off about their character, it gives you room for pause. Building or behaving your way to credibility takes a balance of both character and competence. You've got to have both. Yeah, I think I think this is a very, very excellent point. We're going to need to take a break. And when we come back, we'll carry on more of the conversation with Todd Davis, who is the author of Get Better, 15 Proven Practices to Build Effective Relationships at Work. Todd has also been with Franklin Covey for over 20 years and currently serves as Chief People Officer and Executive Vice President. To learn more, please visit FranklinCovey.com on Twitter at Franklin Covey and Todd Davis FC. And you can find them on Facebook at Todd Davis FC. Here come the tunes. We'll be right back. And that is a promise. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, I urge you to download and share this podcast. Why? Because sharing is caring. It's kind. It's free. It's legal. It's available 24-7. And we're talking about Get Better, 15 Proven Practices to Build Effective Relationships at Work with my guest today, author Todd Davis, who also happens to be the Chief People Officer and Executive Vice President of Franklin Covey. So, Todd, prior to the break, we were talking about behaving your way to credibility. And I want to sort of tap into this harvesting happiness theme over here with one of um, the other points you make in the book, and that is see the tree, not just the seedling. Seeing the tree, not just the seedling, is practice number five. This is all about the power of seeing potential in others. I've worked with a lot of leaders and managers in my career, and, and there are those that continually see the diamond in the rough or maybe the diamond that's almost out of the rough, and there are others that are looking for fully formed trees and only that. And those that, that can't see any potential in others end up really lagging in their, in their careers. I apologize, guys. I've got a cough. Just one second. Oh, sure. <coughs> I couldn't see a mute button on here. <laughs> oh, girl, you're going to have to work on this one. Today she's going to have to – all of my interviews today, it's, it's been me mostly. But it's like, <laughs> bless okay. you, bless you, bless you. <laughs> okay, and I think I just found the mute button. I won't do that in your ear again. Oh, that's um, okay. 
<laughs> okay, should I just pick it up from what see the tree is? Yeah, um, yeah, it's, it's up okay. to you. I mean, Karina will work her magic. She's amazing at what she does, so not to worry. Okay. She will make right. you sound like the superstar that you already are. <laughs> You're kind. Well, all right, I'll just start from here. So see the tree, not just the seedling, is practice number five. The premise behind this practice is seeing potential in others. The late uh, Dr. Stephen R. Covey, the best-selling author of Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, said leadership is communicating to people their worth and potential so clearly they come to see it in themselves. Those are such powerful words. And as we talked, yes. as we spoke earlier, leadership doesn't mean I have to have the formal leadership title. There is such power in communicating to others their worth and potential. So clearly they come to see it in themselves. I've been fortunate in my career to have several leaders do that very thing just for me. Well, and, you know, you go back to the work of, of Stephen Covey. I mean, his he really was a trailblazer, I believe, in 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 this sphere of of leadership and potential and seeing this in in others that may not necessarily have the experience but they have the quality of leadership absolutely absolutely um and, and just for a minute do you believe um and i i think i know the answer but do you believe that leaders can be created so glad you asked that we do you know there's the there's the the common phrase that uh, leaders are born well, that may be true, but I think we're all born, correct? Yes, <laughs> so yes. We, yeah, we absolutely believe, because we've seen it time and time again, it's a lot of the work that we do, that, that leaders absolutely can be created. Um, they, they, uh, have, it's all about their character, who they are, what they do, the results they get, um, their vision, and these are things that people can learn. And, uh, and we've seen that, and, and that's a huge part of the work that we do at Franklin Covey. And I, I believe that the mentoring process is essential. You know, you can take somebody who doesn't come from a background where there's strong leadership or even necessarily strong a strong moral code, and if they are mentored well and there's an interest and a desire to step into that power effectively, so be it. It can happen. There's nothing that holds one back from this. Uh, I couldn't agree more. And and we, we all as human beings, I think maybe there's a few exceptions, but, but not many, we, we want to give back. And if we've had that done for us, um, then, then we have this, this urge to do that for others. And like I said, I've had, I've had several great leaders in my career who have certainly believed in me more than I believed in myself at the time. And now that I'm in, in roles and in, in position and, and of age <laughs> to do that for others, um, I absolutely reflect on the power and the influence that has had and continues to have in my life and want to want to make sure I pass that on. I, I think it's almost a, our moral obligation to do so. I would agree. Yeah, that it, 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 that it's up to us to lift others up and to hold space for them when they may not possess the belief in themselves. And there's such reward, such reward that comes from that. I wish we had got so many great stories. I know we don't have much time in this podcast, but but I've just I've seen it, experienced it time and time again. Let's talk about um, another point you make in the book, Get Better, 15 Proven Practices to Build Effective Relationships at Work. And this is Avoid the Pinball Machine. Mm. <laughs> <Okay>. Glad <laughs> you chose that one. Yep. Yeah. Practice number six, avoid the pinball syndrome. Uh, people ask me all the time, what does that mean? Well, it's, it's one of the, I, I, I am working on and continually trying to get better at all 15 practices, but this is the one I struggle with the most. Most of your listeners, most of our listeners here are probably familiar with the old pinball games. You still can see them in some malls and, and shopping centers, and, and I'm, I'm certain there are pinball apps out there on, on everybody's uh, phone device. But the pinball machine in, in the game stores, you know, you have the two flippers and you pull back and let the ball go, and then it's, it's bing, 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 like you said, and hitting, bouncing off and you're scoring points and there's this allure there's this dopamine rush of this of this pinball game which is fine when it's a game what i see time and time again at work and it's happened to me as well is we get we get lured into this rush of the activity this endorphin yeah. rush of checking off the list and, and while that can be a good thing often what happens is we confuse the urgent with the important and so we're busy all day busy all week we get home at the end of the day and we sit back and realize that nothing of real value has been accomplished. We've been busy and, and frantic, 
but we haven't really stepped back and said, what's really important? What's really adding value to my most important role? So the things I'm trying to accomplish. So avoiding the pinball syndrome is all about stopping before the week begins, before the day begins, saying, what are the most important things I should be spending my time on today and not getting lured into the bing bing. <laughs> yes. Yes. And you know, it's, I think what's interesting is that we tend to think that we're only being effective when we're being busy and that busyness mm-hmm. turns into chaos and as I have matured, <laughs> gotten older, I've realized that, that this, there's some huge power in stepping away, like the actual stepping away in the middle of the day and doing nothing for a few minutes, but maybe going and sitting outside and staring at the, the, the trees, you know, just mm-hmm. taking a break. So, so, such wise advice. You know, it's, it's challenging because as human beings, we'd all much, we'd all much rather watch a fire and a, and a fireman putting out the fire. That's really exciting to watch. I mean, it's you know concerning, but it's exciting versus watching someone going around and putting up smoke alarms. But when you think about it, the real power and effect, the more important thing is to prevent the fires in the first place. So we, we get lured into being the firefighters, the save the day mentality, which happens sometimes, but more, but more often than not, we could spend time preventing those fires, which isn't as exciting, but it's much more meaningful in the long term. I have a question for you. This is completely off topic and completely related at the same time. You have been doing this work for many decades and in human resources, talent development and recruiting and such. What drew you to this world? What called you? Oh, thank you for asking that. I, um, you know, I've been with Franklin Covey for 21 years and was in this, this business long before that. But I, I want to go to our mission statement at Franklin Covey because it will answer your question. Our mission statement is that we enable greatness in people and organizations everywhere. And what drew me to this type of work, even long before I was with Franklin Covey, is this, this idea, this belief that I have that greatness lies within everyone. And I'm not trying to be yeah. you know, up, on my, up on my soapbox here. I, I just – from when I was a little kid, I – I really just had, I don't know if I had the words for it yet, but I really believe at my core, we all want to be a part of something that matters, that makes a difference, that, that greatness really does lie within everyone. And so I, I, my work, like your work is hard. There are long days, there are challenges, but I love my work because I, I truly love people and see that greatness, there's potential for everyone. Yeah, I, I, I was just curious as you were talking because I really hear the passion in your voice. To me, it's very palpable. And it's, you know, you, of course, anybody who writes a book is passionate about their book and their content and what they've researched. But there's something more to what you share that I, I, I'm really picking up on. And so I was just curious what, what, what brought you to the work. And finally, you know, you talk about the, the, the value and importance of humility. Practice 15 is start with humility. You know, years ago, I had an idea of writing a book called Lead with Humility. I had the title. I I, I had been thinking about it for a long time. I thought, I want to call this Lead with Humility. And then I Googled it so I could reserve the title. And I found out that there was already a book called Lead with Humility, and it was written by Pope Francis himself. Uh. (laughs) I decided, okay, not going to go toe-to-toe with him. It's an excellent book, by the way. I bought it, read it, I love it. But, But I write about it here, and I put it as the last chapter, just as this closing point to say, Look, we're all part of a bigger piece here. And if I'm going to even pull a book off the shelf called Get Better that is about me getting better, I got to have a pretty big dose of humility and realize that I've I I'm I'm great, I've got greatness within me and I got a long ways to go. And we all have much area and room for improvement and if I can start not just reading the book, if I can start every day with humility. Humility is the greatest strength we can have. Some people, especially in the business world, confuse humility with weakness, and it's not a weakness at all. The greatest leaders of our time, the greatest leaders throughout history, have a, a great dose of humility in everything they do. I I agree, and I am humbled by your presence here with me today. I really am. We've, we're out of time, but this has been such a great experience. Will you come back and hang out I, with me again? I would love to, and I, I, this has been my pleasure. I've really learned a lot and appreciate you, you having me on. 
Oh, well, likewise. I want to give our listeners where to connect with you. The book we've been talking about today by Todd Davis is Get Better, 15 Proven Practices to Build Effective Relationships at Work. You can learn more at Franklin Covey website, which is www.franklincovey.com, on Twitter at Franklin Covey, and then also Todd Davis FC. And you can connect with Todd directly on Facebook at Todd Davis FC. You've been a delight. Thank you. Here come the tunes. We'll be right back. And that is a promise. We know that life can be tough and that happiness can and does live alongside adversity. Connect with us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and follow Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen for a daily dose of inspiration. We'll be right back after this quick break. Do you find yourself saying things like, I'll be happy when, or I'll be happy if... Does the finish line for happiness keep moving? Does the bar keep getting higher? What's getting in the way of your happiness right now? Too much going on? Working too much? Not working enough? Having too many responsibilities? Not having enough money, enough time, enough space? The list goes on and on. It becomes difficult to see all that we have if we focus on scarcity. One thing I know for certain, happiness waits for no one. And sometimes we all need support. Are We Happy Yet? is not another self-help book. It's a guidebook for learning how to harvest happiness through self-mastery, which is the key ingredient into building resilience, hardiness, grit, and emotional stability. Are We Happy Yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, IndieBound, and HarvestingHappiness.com. Each day, we get to choose how we are going to show up for life. And at times, we need tips for strengthening our well-being. Learn training strategies for greater emotional fitness and improved mental muscle tone at HarvestingHappiness.com. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, I urge you to download and share this podcast. Why? Because sharing is caring. It's kind, it's free, it's legal, it's available 24-7. And we're talking about Get Better, 15 Proven Practices to Build Effective Relationships at Work with my guest today, author Todd Davis, who also happens to be the Chief People Officer and Executive Vice President of Franklin Copey. So, Todd, prior to the break, we were talking about behaving your way to credibility. And I want to sort of tap into this harvesting happiness theme over here with one of um, the other points you make in the book, and that is see the tree, not just the seedling. Seeing the tree, not just the seedling, is practice number five. This is all about the power of seeing potential in others. I've worked with a lot of leaders and managers in my career, and and there are those that continually see the diamond in the rough or maybe the diamond that's almost out of the rough, and there are others that are looking for fully formed trees and only that. And those that, that can't see any potential in others end up, really lagging in their in their careers see the tree not just the seedling is practice number five the premise behind this practice is seeing potential in others the late uh, dr stephen r covey the best-selling author of seven habits of highly effective people said leadership is communicating to people their worth and potential so clearly they come to see it in themselves those are such powerful words. And as we talked, yes. as we spoke earlier, leadership doesn't mean I have to have the formal leadership title. There is such power in communicating to others their worth and potential. So clearly they come to see it in themselves. I've been fortunate in my career to have several leaders do that very thing just for me. Well, and, you know, you go back to the work of, of Stephen Covey. I mean, his he really was a trailblazer, I believe, in 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 this sphere of of leadership and potential and seeing this in in others that may not necessarily have the experience but they have the quality of leadership absolutely absolutely um and, and just for a minute do you believe um and i i think i know the answer but do you believe that leaders can be created so glad you asked that we do you know there's the there's the the common phrase that uh, leaders are born well, that may be true, but I think we're all born, correct? Yes, <laughs> so yes. We, yeah, we absolutely believe, because we've seen it time and time again, it's a lot of the work that we do, that, that leaders absolutely can be created. Um, they, they, uh, have, it's all about their character, who they are, what they do, the results they get, 
um, their vision, and these are things that people can learn. And, uh, and we've seen that, and, and that's a huge part of the work that we do at Franklin Covey. And I, I believe that the mentoring process is essential. You know, you can take somebody who doesn't come from a background where there's strong leadership or even necessarily strong a strong moral code, and if they are mentored well and there's an interest and a desire to step into that power effectively, so be it. It can happen. There's nothing that holds one back from this. Uh, I couldn't agree more. And and we, we all as human beings, I think maybe there's a few exceptions, but but not many, we, we want to give back. And if we've had that done for us, um, then then we have this this urge to do that for others. And like I said, I've had I've had several great leaders in my career who have certainly believed in me more than I believed in myself at the time. And now that I'm in, in roles and in, in position and, and of age <laughs> to do that for others, um, I absolutely reflect on the power and the influence that has had and continues to have in my life and want to want to make sure I pass that on. I, I think it's almost a, our moral obligation to do so. I would agree. Yeah, that it, 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 that it's up to us to lift others up and to hold space for them when they may not possess the belief in themselves. And there's such reward, such reward that comes from that. I wish we had got so many great stories. I know we don't have much time in this podcast, but but I've just I've seen it, experienced it time and time again. Let's talk about um, another point you make in the book, Get Better, 15 Proven Practices to Build Effective Relationships at Work. And this is Avoid the Pinball Machine. Mm. (laughs) Glad you chose that one. Yeah, practice number six, avoid the pinball syndrome. Uh, people ask me all the time, what does that mean? Well, it's, it's one of the, I, I, I am working on and continually trying to get better at all 15 practices, but this is the one I struggle with the most. Most of your listeners, most of our listeners here are probably familiar with the old pinball games. You still can see them in some malls and, and shopping centers. And, and I'm, I'm certain there are pinball apps out there on, on everybody's uh, phone device, but the pinball machine in, in the game stores, you know, you have the two flippers and you pull back and let the ball go. And then it's, it's bing, 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 like you said, and hitting, bouncing off and you're scoring points and there's this allure there's this dopamine rush of this of this pinball game which is fine when it's a game what i see time and time again at work and it's happened to me as well is we get we get lured into this rush of the activity this endorphin yeah. rush of checking off the list and, and while that can be a good thing often what happens is we confuse the urgent with the important and so we're busy all day busy all week we get home at the end of the day and we sit back and realize that nothing of real value has been accomplished. We've been busy and, and frantic, but we haven't really stepped back and said, what's really important? What's really adding value to my most important role? So the things I'm trying to accomplish. So avoiding the pinball syndrome is all about stopping before the week begins, before the day begins, saying, what are the most important things I should be spending my time on today and not getting lured into the bing bing? <laughs> yes, yes. And, you know, it's. I think what's interesting is that we tend to think that we're only being effective when we're being busy and that busyness mm-hmm. turns into chaos. And as I have matured, <laughs> gotten older, I've realized that, that this, there's some huge power in stepping away, like the actual stepping away in the middle of the day and doing nothing for a few minutes, but maybe going and sitting outside and staring at the the, the trees, you know, just mm-hmm. taking a break. So, so Such wise advice. You know, it's, it's challenging because as human beings, we'd all much, we'd all much rather watch a fire and, and a fireman putting out the fire, that's really exciting to watch. I mean, it's you know concerning, but it's exciting versus watching someone going around and putting up smoke alarms. But when you think about it, the real power and effect, the more important thing is to prevent the fires in the first place. So we, we get lured into being the firefighters, the save the day mentality, which happens sometimes. But more, but more often than not, we could spend time preventing those fires, which isn't as exciting, but it's much more meaningful in the long term. I have a question for you. This is completely off topic and completely related at the same time. You have been doing this work for many decades and in human resources, talent development and recruiting and such. What drew you to this world? What called you? Oh, thank you for asking that. I, um, 
you know, I, I've been with Franklin Covey for 21 years and was in this, this business long before that. But I, I want to go to our mission statement at Franklin Covey because it will answer your question. Our mission statement is that we enable greatness in people and organizations everywhere. And what drew me to this type of work, even long before I was with Franklin Covey, is this, this idea, this belief that I have that greatness lies within everyone. And I'm not trying to be, yeah. you know, up on my up on my soapbox here. I, I just from when I was a little kid, I I really just had I don't know if I had the words for it yet, but I really believe at my core, we all want to be a part of something that matters, that makes a difference. That, that greatness really does lie within everyone. And so I I my work like your work is hard. There are long days. There are challenges. But I love my work because I I truly love people and see that greatness, there's potential for everyone. Yeah, I, I, I was just curious as you were talking because I really hear the passion in your voice. To me, it's very palpable. And it's, you know, you, of course, anybody who writes a book is passionate about their book and their content and what they've researched. But there's something more to what you share that I, I, I'm really picking up on. And so I was just curious what, what, what brought you to the work. And finally, you know, you talk about the, the, the value and importance of humility. Practice 15 is start with humility. You know, years ago, I had an idea of writing a book called Lead with Humility. I had the title. I, I, I had been thinking about it for a long time. I thought, I want to call this Lead with Humility. And then I Googled it so I could reserve the title. And I found out that there was already a book called Lead with Humility, and it was written by Pope Francis himself. Ah. <laughs> I decided, okay, not going to go toe-to-toe with him. It's an excellent book, by the way. I bought it, read it. I love it. But, but I write about it here, and I put it as the last chapter, just as this closing point to say, look, we're all part of a bigger piece here. And if I'm going to even pull a book off the shelf called Get Better that is about me getting better – I got to have a pretty big dose of humility and realize that I've, I, I'm, I'm great. I've got greatness within me, and I got a long ways to go. And we all have much area and room for improvement. And if I can start, not just reading the book, if I can start every day with humility. Humility is the greatest strength we can have. Some people, especially in the business world, confuse humility with weakness, and it's not a weakness at all. The greatest leaders of our time, the greatest leaders throughout history, have a, a great dose of humility in everything they do. I I agree. And I am humbled by your presence here with me today. I really am. We've, we're out of time, but this has been such a great experience. Will you come back and hang out I, with me again? I would love to. And I, I this has been my pleasure. I've really learned a lot and appreciate you you having me on. Oh, well, it, it, likewise. I want to give our listeners where to connect with you. The book we've been talking about today by Todd Davis is Get Better, 15 Proven Practices to Build Effective Relationships at Work. You can learn more at Franklin Covey website, which is www.franklincovey.com, on Twitter at Franklin Covey, and then also Todd Davis FC. And you can connect with Todd directly on Facebook at Todd Davis FC. You've been a delight. Thank you. Here come the tunes. We'll be right back. And that is a promise. Nothing gives happiness like a free gift. Unwrap your present by signing up for Happiness Headlines, our monthly e-zine at HarvestingHappiness.com. Stay tuned for more after the break. One thing I know for certain, happiness waits for no one. And sometimes we all need support. We all have the freedom to be happy or the liberty to be miserable each day, regardless of external circumstance. Sure, things will inevitably happen in our lives that are out of our control. There is only ever one thing that is totally within our control, ourselves. When we have command of ourselves, we are better prepared to handle life and bounce back more quickly when challenges arise. Whether you see the glass as half empty or half full, The glass has the capacity to hold more. You have the capacity to be happier. The tool to harvesting your happiness is within your grasp. Are we happy yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, IndieBound, and HarvestingHappiness.com. Each day we get to choose how we are going to show up for life. And at times, we need tips for strengthening our well-being. Learn training strategies for greater emotional fitness and improved mental muscle tone at HarvestingHappiness.com. 
Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, we are talking about humility and heart winning in the workplace. My next guest is Sheila Heen, who was born in Iowa and raised in Nebraska. Sheila Heen is a founder of Triad Consulting Group and a lecturer at Harvard Law School. She has spent the past 20 years with the Harvard Negotiation Project developing negotiation theory and practice, specializing bringing resolution to difficult negotiations where emotions and relationships are strained. Sheila is also the author of two books, Difficult Conversations and Thanks for the Feedback. She lives with her husband, who teaches negotiation at MIT, and her kids, who are probably their greatest negotiation project, and there are three of them. Welcome, Sheila. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. I'm delighted to be here. Well, this is going to be fun because I have kids and most of our listeners have kids. And if we don't have kids out there, we are constantly in contact with young people who are probably the greatest negotiators on the planet. They are the best negotiators on the planet. So one of the things about kids is that they are paying very close attention to what works. They're playing, paying much closer attention than we are paying, which is why when they whine and complain and kvetch and cajole, and eventually we give in, we've just taught them how to negotiate with us completely unintentionally on our part. So they're studying us really carefully. And just when we catch up to figuring them out, of course, they change. They're like a moving target <laughs> of sophistication yeah. um, over the first at least 20 years. It's interesting. Um, you say something I think is very important about children watching how we work. And I, I, I think of myself and my negotiation style or how I work, and I am probably oblivious. You know, I'm just like going along, doing what I'm doing. I've got my to-do list in mind, and I'm trying to achieve those goals. And I'm not paying such subtle attention to um, what is not being said. And, yeah. and I'm sure I'm not the only one. <laughs> You're not the only one. And I think this is one of the most challenging things about parenting, which is that whether we're aware of it or not, we're teaching our kids how to handle our own feelings, how to handle conflict um, with each other, with us, with the people out in when they overhear us talking about a conflict at work or a conflict in the extended family. We're teaching them how to think about conflict and its role in the most important relationships in our lives. And so I think one of the things that the research shows that is most interesting is that kids, so there are sort of three philosophies about how to handle conflict in a family. One is keep it behind closed doors because you don't want to upset the kids and you don't want them to worry about the stability of the family. And so there are many of us who grew up and you really didn't see much. Or maybe you saw the start of the fight, and then they went in the other room, and then by the time they came back, um, somehow, magically, everything was fine again. And it turns out that that, although it's well-intentioned, actually gets worse outcomes than letting kids see how did you work through it. How did you keep your emotions not hidden, but... Um, away from getting translated into blame or accusations and instead described clearly as you work to understand each other's perspective and find a way to go forward together. Well, and I think we learn how to do that from the family dynamic and, you know, fast forward 25 years when we're um, in the workplace and some of us may not be so comfortable with those kinds of confrontations. And I think that's why your area of expertise is so valuable is, you know, just because we disagree or just because even we get mad and we may raise our voices does not mean that um, it's a forever uh, status of the relationship or that we can't work through it. Well, it certainly means that to many, many, many people, but it doesn't mean that to some people. And this is one of the challenging things at work. Sometimes what you have are two people who are working together, um, whether that's you know their peers or they're in a hierarchical relationship. And one of them was raised in a household where, you know, you put your view on the table and you argue for it and you there might be yelling or there might be um, vigorous heated debate and at the end of it everybody's fine and that's a sign of a healthy relationship to them 
The problem is that they're working with someone where that did not happen or it stayed underground until it erupted um, into a real rupture, like people did not speak to each other anymore, people divorced, etc. And to them, that kind of conflict signals a relationship-ending event. And so the meaning that we each make from conflict um, varies hugely, and then that's part of the challenge as we learn how to work together and live together in the rest of our lives. And when we talk about giving and receiving feedback, is there a way uh, uh, or maybe a simple how-to a checklist that we might follow when going through this process with another, whether it's in the workplace or in the home? Well, one big piece of advice around feedback is to understand that there are actually three different kinds. And we, we actually each need all three kinds in order to learn and grow. Um, but we're not clear what we're offering other people, and we're not clear what we, we need right now. So very briefly, the three kinds follow an acronym called ACE, A-C-E. A is appreciation, which just says, I see you, I get you, you matter around here. All this blood, sweat, and tears you're putting into your job or putting into, you know, dinner and the housework and paying the bills, it matters to somebody. Um, you know, you can see it really clearly in kids like, mom, 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 look at this, look at this, <laughs> right? We, we never totally outgrow that if we're honest with ourselves. We want somebody to notice, like, boss, 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 look, look. So, <laughs> so I think that one of the things that happens is there's a shortage of appreciation in most workplaces. Um, and appreciation is part of what keeps us motivated and engaged, also, a shortage of appreciation gets in the way of the second kind of feedback, um, the C, which is coaching. And by coaching, I actually mean anything designed to help me improve or get better. And often we think we're offering our kids or our coworkers helpful coaching suggestions, um, but they actually hear it as the third kind of feedback, the E, which is evaluation. And evaluation rates or ranks us and tells us whether we're on track and how we're doing against some set of expectations. And evaluation, being judged, is the one we have the biggest emotional reaction to. Yeah. So you asked I, about I, tips for feedback. One is be clear which kind you're offering someone else um, and be clear which kind you need a little bit more of right now. It's interesting that you say that. I was recently in a situation in a hierarchical kind of relationship at a, in a consulting job, and I received negative feedback, but I received no coaching as to how to correct the situation, and I found myself being very frustrated. Yeah. Yeah. So you got the double whammy, which is that you got the most upsetting kind of feedback, which was like, well, that stunk, <laughs> right? Or yep. that was disappointing. Yep. Um, and then it feels like, well, then I want to make it right. I want to fix it, but it didn't give me anything I could do or change that would help me in some way to grow. And your experience, I think, is really common, and it's one of the things that as a receiver, I can take charge of my feedback. I think often we feel like we're victims of other people's feedback, but I actually yeah. have some say to go back and say, you know, hey, that certainly was upsetting, was not my intent. I, I do want to talk about what might change or what could have been better because that at least means I get something out of it, which is that I'll learn something and have something to think about. Well, and that is the goal to, you know, to sort of dive back in, which I did do. I, 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 you know, I'm using myself as the guinea pig. I said, look, I received this feedback. This was to another group who had fed the information to the, the, the supervisor, we'll, we'll, we'll call her. And I said, this is the feedback that I've received and I'd like to know more. Tell me more, you know, sort of that powerful open-ended question, which I think is so important in, in, in our growth and in nurturing our relationships. I think that's right. And, and you ran into sort of a structural situation, which is also super common, which is the feedback isn't directly from the person you're speaking to. It's reported yep. secondhand. So in some cases, in many cases, the person you're asking, like, help me understand this, like, tell me more, doesn't actually know. And then I think we feel like, well, I'm not really allowed to go back to the people who – 
originally apparently complained or gave the feedback. So now what's been accomplished is that we all just feel really awkward with each other. <laughs> and I feel yeah. kind of hurt that they didn't talk to me directly. And I actually think you don't have to sit with that situation. I think as long as your purpose, your goal is, wow, I was surprised by this and I really genuinely just want to better understand it. And you set aside for the moment, like whether I agree with it or disagree with it, I can decide later, but I just need to better understand it. I actually think you can go back either to some of the people in the group who you think might have given the feedback or go to a mutual friend and just say, I'm just trying to understand um, what the concerns are or what people would like me to change. Can you help me just to understand that? Because I'm finding it a little bit confusing and it matters to me. Yeah, I, 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 I hear you. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to continue the conversation with Sheila Heen. She is a founder of Triad Consulting. I swallowed my tongue. We are going to take a break, and when we come back, um, Karina, just make a note there. I'm going to start that over again. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to continue the conversation with Sheila Heen, who is founder of Triad Consulting Group and a lecturer at Harvard Law School. She's the author of Thanks for the Feedback, The Science and Art of Receiving Feedback Well. To learn more, please visit the website stoneandheen.com, and on Facebook, you can find Sheila at Thanks for the Feedback. Here come the tunes. We'll be right back, and that's a promise. Who says money can't buy happiness? Check out Lisa's new book, Are We Happy Yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life and other fun, fashionable, and inspiring items at shophappy at harvestinghappiness.com. We'll be right back after this quick break. Do you find yourself saying things like, I'll be happy when, or I'll be happy if? Does the finish line for happiness keep moving? Does the bar keep getting higher? What's getting in the way of your happiness right now? Too much going on? Working too much? Not working enough? Having too many responsibilities? Not having enough money, enough time, enough space? The list goes on and on. It becomes difficult to see all that we have if we focus on scarcity. One thing I know for certain, happiness waits for no one. And sometimes we all need support. Are we happy yet? is not another self-help book. It's a guidebook for learning how to harvest happiness through self-mastery, which is the key ingredient into building resilience, hardiness, grit, and emotional stability. Are We Happy Yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, IndieBound, and HarvestingHappiness.com. Each day, we get to choose how we are going to show up for life. And at times, we need tips for strengthening our well-being. Learn training strategies for greater emotional fitness and improved mental muscle tone at HarvestingHappiness.com. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, I urge you to download and share this podcast. Why? Because sharing is caring. It's kind, it's free, it's legal, and we have hundreds of hours available in our library at no charge to you. Today, we're talking about humility and heart winning in the workplace, continuing the conversation with Sheila Heen. She is the author of Thanks for the Feedback, the Science and Art of Receiving Feedback Well. Sheila, prior to the break, we were talking about a situation that I was involved in, in a consulting gig, um, about being given negative feedback and not necessarily having a direct path because it was delivered by a third party to learn more and correct the situation. And I think this is very common in the workplace. It's really common in the workplace. Um, and one of the reasons that we got curious about feedback was that it kept coming up when we were working with people, leaders on their most challenging conversations the most common kind of conversation that came up was feedback conversations as challenging, whether you were on the giving side or the receiving side. And I think the common approach is to focus on helping people give feedback more effectively, skillfully, et cetera, and that's helpful. But it suddenly occurred to us one day, actually, maybe the key is understanding how to receive feedback so that when you get frustrating feedback, which unless you're going to upgrade all of your coworkers and family and friends <laughs> into better givers, 
it's inevitable and part of life. And feedback is all around us all the time, right? It's spoken and unspoken and sometimes formal, but more often informal because it's other people signaling to us how we're affecting them, how we're impacting them, what it's like working with us. Um, and we actually need other people to see ourselves accurately. So then the question is, well, can I develop some skills that help me respond to and learn from the feedback all around me and it, yeah. right, deal with the pain involved because it's not an easy process either. But it is where we grow. I mean, I, I, I have never experienced any growth when it's been easy peasy. Yeah. So this is one of the um, the real anomalies or or conundrums. This is one of the real conundrums about feedback. Because on the one hand, we actually do want to learn and grow. And if we're stagnating in a job, we start to get restless, right? Yeah. So on the one hand, coaching and learning new things is part of what makes life satisfying. That's, that's what the happiness research tells us. Uh, it's why we take up new hobbies in retirement. But then we bump into this second sort of core human need, which is the need to be accepted and respected and loved the way we are now. Yeah. And the very fact of other people's feedback can suggest that how I am now is not totally okay with them. And so I think feedback can also be among the most painful experiences in life, but it's those painful experiences that often eventually produce the most important growth for us. And when we talk about feedback in the workplace and the political correctness or the desirability for political correctness in the workplace, we may be uh, in a slippery territory, right? Because it's, it's not, it's hard to be PC a hundred percent of the time. And sometimes you just want to like get it out and you've got to find a way to get it out that, um, can be heard by others. And, and in terms of receiving it yourself, being on the receiving end of the feedback, not to be a baby about it. I'm sorry to be blunt, but <laughs> you know, it's like, all right, let's grow up here. Yeah. Hold on. I'm going to wait till this phone stops ringing so that we can cut this out. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We'll cut it out. You got that, Karina? <laughs> Bless you. Gesundheit. My husband is about to pick it up, so it'll stop ringing. I don't have a way to turn off the ringer in my office. That's okay. That's okay. That's all right. So, so I love not being a baby about it. Can we trademark that and just have it as a, a key learning? <laughs> oh, wouldn't that be fun? That I mean, what a great course that would be, actually. Yeah. Not, don't be a baby about it. <laughs> exactly. Sorry, I was clearing my throat. Okay. Yeah, don't be a baby about it. The problem is uh, that there is this really core part of us that is hurt by other people's um, judgments or wishes about how we would be different. And so we're walking this line. I think the goal is to better understand the pain so that we can get to the learning part a little bit faster because looking back, we're usually grateful for the learning. So the question is, can I better understand the pain? And part of the complication of that is that um, individual sensitivity to feedback, meaning how upset do you get and how long does it take you to recover? We ran across some evidence that individual sensitivity can vary by up to 3,000%. Whoa. Yeah. Do you so, wait, like hang that? on one sec. I just want to, I just want to paraphrase that. So what rolls off the back of one person, which is seemingly a nothing could ruin someone's day or week or month. I mean, that's what I hear you saying anyways. Yes. Or life. Yes. Yeah. Or life. <laughs> Defcon four ruin my life. Yeah. Yeah. So a team will get feedback and some members of the team are, you know, think it's not that big a deal and are at most slightly irritated by it. And other people feel just devastated by it. And sometimes that reflects or their role in producing whatever the outcome, but I think it also reflects the way that we're wired. Do you have a sense, Lisa, where you fall on that sensitivity scale? Pretty low. <laughs> Meaning pretty yeah. e even keel. Yeah, like I, I, I bounce back fairly quickly. I, for me, I need to understand. Like once I understand what I've done wrong or that hasn't measured up, I strive to either course correct 
or, you know, become more resilient and see where I have to change and then adjust. But, you know, I, I have done a lot of work right in, in this area. So, I mean, I understand that it comes with practice. Yeah. And, and you're also doing something that helps to manage that pain and sensitivity, by the way. So one is you may be just naturally wired to not get as upset and to bounce back a little bit more quickly. Um, but for those listeners who are thinking, okay, great, but I'm one of the super sensitive types, so am I doomed? Um, the answer is no, because part of what you're doing, which is also helping you, is the story you're telling about the feedback itself. Yeah, the story, getting it off your chest is really important, getting isn't it? Getting it off your chest, and you also have a story in your head, I'm guessing, that has a couple of important aspects. One is, I'm just not finished. I'm never finished, right? So I'm just, life is about a series of lessons and learning and improving, and if I work at something, I will get better at it. So feedback is actually helpful to me in the longer run, even if it's painful in the shorter run, because it's letting me know what I might work on next, and that's not a big deal. So you have, the second thing is that you have what's called a growth identity, right? So this loops back to some work by Carol Dweck about fixed mindsets and growth mindsets, is the story we're telling that, like, I am who I am. I'm as smart as I am or am not, talented yeah. as I am or am not. So then feedback is very threatening because it's letting me know whether I measure up or not, and there's not much I can do about that. A growth mindset or identity incorporates the story you're using, which is, well, I'm always getting better, right? So this is just the next thing to work on, and I can change over time in all of the ways that matter, how I lead, how I manage, how I collaborate and, and work with other people how I manage our relationship. Those are all things that change over time. And I think that this is part of also a, a natural progression for many people. In my 20s, I was much more brittle or reactive to feedback because I had the short term like, oh, I really screwed that up. But I didn't have the long term perspective yet of like, well, yeah, I screwed things up and then I learned from them and it gets better. It's not a disaster. I yeah. think I'm more even keel actually as I've gotten you know, a tiny bit older or maybe more than a tiny bit older um, because the perspective helps as well. Interesting. You know, and what I'm gleaning from this conversation is so much of this feedback um, loop really is about the person, the receiver, and that no matter how the giver uh, delivers if you're not developed emotionally and socially, meaning your your emotional and social intelligence is not elevated on some level, you're not going to be able to take in the information in a in a constructive way. So it puts the responsibility, I think, in a good way, back on the recipient to it, not just about you know don't be a baby, but really see how we can grow and learn, and how the feedback is not um, uh, impugning. Our, our goodness as a person or the relationship. Yeah, and if you look at the research, it's the people who go out and seek negative feedback. What the researchers mean by that is that they're not just fishing for compliments. They're looking for what they can improve. Those people actually report higher work satisfaction. They, adopt, they adapt more quickly in new roles, um, and they actually get higher performance reviews. And so from my point of view, teaching people how to receive feedback and to share responsibility for getting the feedback that they need and want is very empowering because it says, wow, you know, I can actually go out and get what I need. I don't have to wait around for the perfect mentor to show up. And you yeah. mentioned being PC, by the way, earlier, and I didn't totally respond to that. Um, I do think that all of us worry about hurting our relationships with other people and hurting people's feelings or being misunderstood. And so we do hold back the feedback that would be helpful to other people. And as people get more senior, by the way, fewer and fewer people are willing to take the risk to offer them honest coaching in particular. What? So that's part of what being PC is. And for people who are different in some way, um, however you cut that question, people are going to hold back even a little bit more in many cases because they don't want I don't want you to think it's because I'm sexist or racist or 
discriminating against you in some way. I'm actually trying to help you get better, but I'm a little more worried about being misunderstood even than I might be. And, and therein lies this, the slippery slope with the whole idea of giving and receiving feedback. We're going to, we're, we're out of time, but I want to just hit one more thing here before we go. And that is that, um, as individuals, the work that we create, if we adopt a mindset of being a craftsperson and our work output, how we show up is a manifestation of that mentality, we automatically will improve because the idea of quality control is embedded into that maker um, mentality. That seems right to me. And a maker mentality is also almost automatically a remaker mentality. It's, ooh, what could I do that would be even better next time? What, what could I do? In what ways could my creativity and my capacity actually expand? Because part of the journey is figuring out for myself what I'm capable of with other people's help. Yeah, beautiful. Well, you'll have to come back and hang out with me more because I think this topic really is ripe for greater exploration and really helpful to people. I was speaking with Sheila Heen today, and she is the author of Thanks for the Feedback, The Science and Art of Receiving Feedback Well. Um, to learn more, please visit her website at stoneandheen.com. On Facebook, you can find her at Thanks for the Feedback. And here are a few thoughts before we part. Happiness is not a destination. It cannot be bought, sold, or traded. Happiness will never invite you to the party. It simply comes down to a choice to show up each and every day in the world with passion, purpose, place, and meaning. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. This is Lisa Cypress-Kamen and my guest today, Todd Davis and Sheila Heen, wishing you kind thoughts, kinder words, and the kindest of actions. Until next time, remember, happiness is an inside job. Happiness is your inside job. Go out and rock your day. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio with Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Join us each and every Wednesday for a brand new episode of consciously curated talk radio from the heart. Keep harvesting your own happiness anytime from the comfort of wherever you are with hundreds of free downloadable podcasts from our libraries on Tokinet, iTunes, and SoundCloud. In a complicated world seemingly driven by nonstop negative news, Lisa's mission is to celebrate the upside of life and seek the silver lining of our challenges by transforming them into uplifting growth opportunities for all. To learn more about Lisa's global consulting services, please visit HarvestingHappiness.com. Spread more joy by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen. Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio is produced in collaboration with Toginet Radio, KBUU, RadioMalibu.net, and is available on PRX, the public radio exchange.